0: Well, Let us now turn to consider our sermon text for this evening. I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We'll consider the first 11 verses of Acts 1. Here we find at the beginning of these verses Luke describing the continuing of his recording of the works of Jesus Christ. He has already written the Gospel of Luke, and now as we come to Acts, he is continuing on this this record of Jesus Christ and his work now through his church. Uh, He describes in the first uh, four verses of Jesus' appearance to his disciples after his death and resurrection and what he has been teaching to them. And So let us now consider what Jesus says to his disciples and apostles here in these first 11 verses. Verse 1, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This far, the reading of God's Word. Well, this evening, we come to consider some very uh, important verses uh, in the New Testament. Uh, These may be verses that are very well known to us as uh, Christians who have been in the church for a long time. These are central verses um, in the New Testament scriptures, and they are particularly important because they are, in a sense, Jesus's final words in his earthly ministry. And I think there's something inherently interesting and important about someone's final words. Uh, You could As I have, do a a Google search and find uh, lists of all the different famous uh, final words from uh, either TV shows or movies or or famous people. Uh, We have these lists because there's something interesting. There's something significant about a person's final words on earth. And this is certainly true of these verses that we consider this evening. This is Jesus' final instruction final exhortation and final words for his uh, apostles and disciples. And Because of this, uh, these words have central importance for the church. Uh, In many ways, these uh, words that Jesus gives to them are are the constitution of the church, uh, following Jesus' ascension, which we see at the end of these verses. And so it is important for us as the church now to consider what Jesus has to say here. Um, how he constitutes his church, the task that he gives to them and to us as he is ascending. Yet it is also important for us before we consider this, the substance of these words to uh, even consider what Luke says at the beginning of this passage. For he says in verse 1 that in the first book that he has written to Theophilus that he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And even in this word, we find something very significant about this account that Luke is going to write. The implication that he is, is saying here is that what he has recorded in the gospel is what Jesus began to do and teach. And what he is now going to record is what Jesus will continue to do and teach in the church. And Jesus, as he is ascending into heaven, is not uh, now moving away from the church and no longer a factor But he is still the main figure. He is the one who is building, uh, guiding his church. He is the one who is continuing to work. And so as we consider these verses, we find what Jesus here has to say to his apostles is what Jesus will continue to do and teach and work in his church through his apostles and officers and people in his church. And so as we consider these verses, the question sort of naturally arises as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, um, what is the church now going to do as Jesus has left? Um, He has been with them, he has labored with them, they have followed him, and now he is leaving. And so the question arises, uh, what is to be the, the purpose and task of the church as Jesus is leaving? What's the work that they are going to do? How are they going to be able to accomplish this work if Jesus is leaving? And now that he is leaving, maybe even more importantly for us, it is important to consider how is the risen Lord Jesus Christ continuing to work in his church? That's what we hope to see this evening, and we'll consider these words of constitution for the church by considering the commission that Christ gives, the promise that Christ gives, and the hope that Christ gives for his people. The commission, the promise, and the hope. So we'll consider those three points this evening. And We first will consider the commission that Christ gives, and we find this commission in verse 8. There, again, if you'll look at this verse with me, Christ says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is the the substance of the commission that Christ gives to his apostles and and to the church as he is going to ascend into heaven. And yet you'll notice that this commission that Christ gives comes following a question that the apostles have asked of Jesus. So they've asked in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is the question that prompts Jesus' answer of a commission. And in some senses, this is a, a natural question for the apostles to ask, isn't it? Um, they, they knew of the promises in the Old Testament of, of a kingdom of David, of a Messiah to come who would establish the kingdom of God. And so they ask, is this the time in which this kingdom will now come? Is this the time in which Christ will establish this long-promised kingdom? And Jesus answers them in, really in, in two ways. He answers them in in verse 7 by declaring that it's not for them to know the times and seasons fixed by the Father. They're not to know when the kingdom is to come, Jesus says. And even in this first answer of Jesus, there may be something very instructive for us as God's people to learn. And that is that we as his people ought not to desire uh, and to look into the secret decree and plan of God. John Calvin commenting on this It says very powerfully that the true means to become wise is to go as far forward in learning as our Master Christ goes in teaching, and willingly to be ignorant of those things which he does conceal from us. But even as this is part of Jesus' answer ...to the apostles, we find a further answer in verse 8. And that is the the commission that Christ gives is, in some sense, the answer to their question. You see, the the kingdom that they were desiring, they sought to be a, a physical kingdom for physical Israel. And yet what Jesus points them to in this commission is that the kingdom is coming. It has come. And it is going to come and grow and expand, but this is a kingdom for all nations... This is a a worldwide kingdom going forth to the ends of the earth. And these apostles, these disciples, are going to play a part in the fulfillment and expansion of this kingdom of God. And so in verse 8, Jesus responds to their question and calls them to this commission. And yet there, there are two aspects, or two parts of this commission which it's helpful for us to see and notice. And The first aspect of this commission is that he gives them a task to complete. There's a work that they are to be committed to. And that work, Jesus uh, very clearly states for them. They are to be his witnesses. They are to be his witnesses. They are to speak of Jesus Christ. Maybe to put it another way, and Jesus calls them here in verse 8 to preach of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are to be his witnesses, proclaiming who Jesus is and what he has done. They are to preach. And I think this is a, a very important point that Jesus makes here for the life of the church. This kingdom of God that Jesus is establishing, he says here, does not come by force. Jesus does not command an army to come and, and forcefully bring in this kingdom. Uh, He does not call the apostles to reenact his life in a series of dramas for for people. Uh, They are not called to uh, seek to gain political power and to to seek to enforce the teachings of Christ. They're not called to to gimmicks, to seek to gain the attention of crowds and to bring them in. But Jesus calls them and, and us, the church, to a very simple Yet, powerful task, and that is to preach and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through and and read through the Book of Acts, we see this worked out in the ministry of the apostles. Uh, In in fact, they're so committed to this task that Jesus gives to them uh, that we find in Acts chapter six that they um, institute the office of the deacon. Why? So that they can focus on the ministry of prayer. And the word. And we see that this throughout Acts is how the early church grew. The church grew by the preaching and proclamation of God's word. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, Luke records that the word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And again, several chapters later in Acts 12, 24. He writes again that the Word of God increased and multiplied. This is the, the simple task that Jesus gives to them. And this is how Jesus will build his church through them. So, the first aspect of this commission we see is the task that he gives to them. But a second aspect of this uh, commission is its scope, is how far this commission is to go. And, namely, the scope of this commission is that it is a worldwide commission a worldwide task. They are to preach Jesus Christ to all nations and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says that they are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but not only in those places, but even to the ends of the earth, they are to preach his word. And in this way, we find that the promises of God, his covenant promises of old in the Old Testament, being realized Uh, We're reminded, even as we read in Romans chapter 4, that God had uh, promised to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, and that through Abraham, salvation would come to the whole earth. So through the preaching of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's salvation will go to the ends of the earth and to all peoples. And yet, even more specifically, it's important for us to recognize that here in this universal commission and universal task, that it is Jesus Christ, the Lord, who is causing his word to go forth, and causing salvation to go to all the nations, as he continues to act and teach through his apostles. It is Jesus himself who is working through his apostles in his ascension. So this is the commission that the risen Lord Jesus Christ gives to his apostles and to his church. I mean, yet as we uh, come to this passage, we must remember that this is a commission that is being given to his apostles. He identifies this in the first verses of this chapter. He says in verse 2 that he has given instructions to the apostles. And so even as we consider these things, it's important for us to remember and recognize the unique role that the apostles had in the history of the church and in redemptive history. Uh, Jesus had called these men to be uh, the inspired and infallible witnesses of Jesus Christ. They had seen him in his life. They had seen his works, and now they are to be uh, an inspired and infallible witnesses to the work that Jesus Christ had done. And they are to do this in a foundational manner for the church. Uh, Paul himself identifies this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, where he says So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. And Luke himself, throughout the book of Acts, goes on to show the accomplishment of this foundational role that the apostles had. They do bring and and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. They begin their ministry in Jerusalem at the beginning of Acts, At the end of Acts, we find Paul going all the way to Rome, the center of the world. So the gospel is brought by these inspired and infallible witnesses who are foundational in the church. And yet, this apostolic commission which Jesus gives here in these verses speaks also to the ordinary and continuing mission and work of the church even today. We find in Matthew 28 that Jesus there says in the Great Commission that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So even here in this great commission in Matthew chapter 28, we see that this is a work that is to be done to the end of the age. And that Jesus will be with his people and with his church to the end of the age so that it will be completed. Even now we have a continuing ministry of the word. Jesus Christ has appointed um, officers, pastors, and preachers, missionaries, to continue to preach God's word to his people and to the ends of the earth. This is a continuing task, and we find this even in the New Testament as the apostles um, set up um, officers of elders and of preachers, following them so that the ministry of the Word doesn't end with them, but will continue even beyond them. And so these words of Jesus Christ in this commission has great significance for us. It is important for us as the church to be committed to the reading and preaching of God's Word. We must be committed to hearing preaching, to hearing and receiving the instruction and preaching of God's Word. Because this is the central work that Jesus Christ has given to the church. And we are to be committed to sitting under the regular preaching of God's Word. It is why we gather morning and evening, every Lord's Day, to hear uh, sermons twice. Because we are to be committed to this ministry We ought to be committed to supporting the ministry of the Word, uh, to seeing that it goes forth, to seeing that ministers are provided for. We ought to be committed even to bringing people to hear the preaching of the Word, understanding that this is the means which Christ has given for the building of His church. And yet, this is not simply and and only the task for those called of Christ to be officers in the church, to be preachers and pastors, but this is the duty and work also of every individual Christian, to be one who testifies to Jesus Christ in whatever circumstance you may be in, to testify of Christ to neighbors and co-workers To to, to speak of his word to them, knowing that this is the means which Christ has given and promised to bless for the building of his church. So even in this commission, we find what we, as God's people, even today, are to be committed to. The preaching and teaching of God's word. So first, we see the commission of God's word. But second, we see the promise that, that Christ gives to his people. Namely, that promise that Jesus gives is the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what he says in verses 4 and 5, that they are to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit will come. It's a promise that has already been spoken of by John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, where John said that I have baptized you with water, but he, speaking of Christ, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this promise of the Spirit is central to Jesus' instruction and preparation of the church. This promise carries with it great significance for us as God's people. It's a promise that he has already spoken of in his earthly ministry, particularly in the Gospel of John. We see Jesus continually promising the Spirit that is to come. The Spirit signifies and is a manifestation of the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. That's a manifestation that God's kingdom is coming. The giving of the Spirit is also significant because it is the Spirit of Christ that is being given to us. The Spirit that dwelt upon Christ himself is is now poured forth upon us. We find in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus' promise is fulfilled, that the Spirit is, is poured forth. But here in our verses we find a particular significance to this promise for the church. There's something particularly significant about the promise of the Spirit coming upon the apostles and the whole church. And namely, that is when Jesus gives this commission, the question naturally arises, how will they be able to complete this task of preaching the word to all the ends of the earth? By what power are they going to be able to do this and accomplish this? And here Jesus says that the promised spirit is the power for the church to accomplish the task that they have given to them. Again, the apostles are not to accomplish this task by physical force. They're not to accomplish it by their own wisdom or cleverness. But the church is to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered body, Jesus says. In fact, this is the apostle paul's own testimony of his ministry isn't it in 1 corinthians chapter 2 verses 2 through 4 paul writes of his own ministry and says for i decided to know nothing among you except jesus christ and him crucified and i was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit And of power. The Spirit is the power for the task that Christ has given to the church. Yet here again, even in this uh, promise, we must uh, understand and identify the unique and special role that the apostles play in the church. See, they possessed the Spirit and the Spirit worked through them in, in a unique way. Um, in that they were supposed to be the inspired and infallible witnesses to Christ, and so the Spirit worked through them in this sense, in their foundational role for the church. And yet the church in, in all ages is to be filled with and led by the Spirit. The Spirit is the power for the church in all ages to accomplish the task that Christ has given. And there are two very important implications from this promise that Jesus Christ gives of the Spirit, the promise that has been fulfilled amongst us. One is that we as God's people ought to be dependent upon the power of the Spirit for the accomplishment of the work that Christ has given. We ought to be reliant and dependent upon that power which Christ has given. One of the great Presbyterian pastors and theologians Uh, of the past, Samuel Miller uh, wrote very powerfully about this point when he said this, Had we millions of the most learned, eloquent, and holy preachers in Christendom to send forth, and all the funds that could be asked or desired for this enterprise, all would be in vain unless the power of the Almighty Spirit went along with the laborers. He goes on to say, Let us remember that all will be unavailing, unless the Holy Spirit accompany and give efficacy to the means employed. Let everything pertaining to the spread of the gospel be done under the deep impression that in our own strength we can accomplish nothing. Do you pray for the the power of the Spirit to bless the regular preaching of God's Word? Do you pray for us to receive the preaching of Christ in in the power and blessing of the Spirit? Do you pray for the Spirit to bless and give efficacies to the testifying to Jesus Christ and His Word? As Jesus, uh, as Jesus Christ's people, we ought to be those who are uh, deeply dependent upon the power of the Spirit. For this is the, this, the power which Christ has given for the accomplishment of His task. And so we ought to be a dependent people. Uh, but even more than this, we ought to be an expectant people. We ought to be those who expect for Christ to build and bless his church because he has given the power for the accomplishment of this task. We don't have to rely upon our own power and upon our own means, but Christ has promised that he will accomplish it by the power of his Spirit that he has given. One author describes this expectancy that we ought to have in this way. The Spirit's power in the church and in preaching is not to be assumed, but is to be earnestly sought and expected. Therefore, may we be those uh, people who earnestly seek and expect the blessing of the Spirit upon the preaching of his word. And so we have seen the commission which Christ gives, we have seen the promise of the Spirit which Christ gives, and finally we will consider the hope which Christ gives here to his church. We find this hope in the final verses of this passage. Verses 9 through 11, Luke describes Jesus ascending into heaven in the aftermath of this ascension. And this event of the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven has rich significance for us as God's people. It means that we now have an advocate with the Father in heaven at his right hand. We have a mediator. It means that Christ even now is preparing a place for us, as he says in John. It means that as Jesus Christ is ascended, so the Spirit comes down, which we see fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And it means also that gifts are given to the church by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But here in our verses, Luke emphasizes what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. That's the emphasis. In fact, Christ has uh, spoken of his, ascend- of his leaving and ascension into heaven often in his earthly ministry. Uh, he had often spoken to his disciples and apostles, telling them that he was going to leave. And as we see these instances in, in the Gospels, we find that this is a, an occasion of sorrow for his disciples to hear this. Uh, they're sorrowful, they're grieved that, that Jesus would say that he is going to leave them. And yet in Luke's account of Jesus' ascension in Luke chapter 24, we find a very different reaction by the apostles and disciples when Christ does ascend. In Luke 24, verses 52 and 53, Luke records, following the ascension, that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So why is it that what was once sorrowful for them now produces joy? And what once grieved them now produces in them joyful worship? Why is this the case? Well, one reason may be that they had greater knowledge of the work of Jesus Christ following the ascension. They understood, at least in part, the significance of Jesus' ascension for them. But specifically here in our verses, Luke records a promise that they were given at Jesus' ascension. Namely, that they received this promise from two men in verse 11, that Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They have the hope that Jesus, who is leaving them, will come again. A sure promise that as they have seen Jesus leave, so he will return. And this is a hope that these uh, apostles and disciples certainly would have needed for the ministry that they were given. The hope of Christ's return means that Christ will once and for all accomplish his sovereign purposes. It means that he will complete the bringing of his kingdom. And as we see in the, the history of the church in Acts and we find in the epistles, uh, we, we, we find the persecution of the early church, the persecution of the apostles, the persecution of the Christians, and in the midst of this, this trouble and trial that they faced, they would have needed this hope, that their labors were not in vain, and that the persecution that they were facing was not the end, but that Christ was and will return and accomplish all of his saving purposes. And this is a, an immensely important point, not simply for the apostles and disciples and Christians of the New Testament time, but it is important for us as Christians today. It's important for us as the church, uh, who have this continuing task, uh, to, to preach the word here and to the ends of the earth. And so often for us, it, it does not seem like the church is thriving It does not seem like the church is growing. There seem to be so many difficulties and trials. We hear of Christians persecuted around the earth. We hear and and see churches that have troubles and splits and difficulties, divisions within the church. Yet even amidst so much seeming discouragement, we must be continually reminded and encouraged with this hope and promise. That Jesus Christ is, is coming, that he will return, and that he will complete his saving plan. The labor that we have as the church is not in vain, but Christ will accomplish his saving purposes. Peter, the apostle Peter, in in 1 Peter 1.13, said powerfully, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so as Jesus' people here and now, uh, may we be those who are committed to this task that Jesus has given, to preach the scriptures and and to testify to Jesus Christ. Uh, May we be those who are dependent and expectant upon the power of the Spirit. But may we do all these things, as Peter says, uh, as those who have our hope set fully on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is to come. Even now, let us turn and pray and ask for Christ's blessing upon his word. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, we give thanks for your word that you have given to us. We give thanks for this task that you have given to your church. And we give thanks that you have given to us the, the power for the accomplishment of this task. That we do not rely upon our own strength, our own wisdom, or our own power. Oh, Lord, we do ask that you would build your church, that you would build your church here in this congregation, that you would build your church throughout the earth, that your name might be glorified. And we do ask that you would cause us to be those people who have our hope set fully on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the grace to come and the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, make us faithful, give us endurance in this task, We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.